Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Not many people set out creating a family thinking that one day it will fall apart. Unfortunately, for many different reasons, it does happen. But what are the key ingredients to making a separation work for your children, especially when they're young? Danielle Jaku is a mediator who helps families find the best resolutions for their future. Hi, Danielle. How are you? Hi, Siobhan. Good. Thank you. By the time you're involved with a family, the couple are not going to reconcile. Would that be correct? In most cases, yes. So what is the first thing couples can do to make separation a less traumatic experience? Because it feels to me like it it has to be emotionally messy, right? Because that's just life. Mediation is a good place to start um, to have a discussion that's facilitated. What does that mean? Because I'm not sure Mm. not many people probably have been through the experience. Mm, so what mm. does a mediator do in that situation? So a mediator um, helps couples to have a future-focused discussion and it's facilitated about their kids as opposed to going to court where a decision's made for them in absence of anyone knowing their children. So it's dictated upon them. They're not even talking to each other, the parents. So in a mediation, they're, they're talking to each other often at a different stage in the grief cycle, but it's assisted, it's facilitated by the mediator and and in an ideal setup, it's two mediators. So it's a co-mediation model for extra support. So it's mandatory in most circumstances to mediate before you go to court over kids. There are some exceptions. Okay, so that is obviously a good place to start because the mediators help to take the emotion out of it. Is that Mm, right? I mean, how do you make it a better kind of experience, I guess? So it's important to let the emotions be there. Otherwise, someone can't get over a hurt that's actually causing them to, to stop being future focused. So they manage the room. They they provide a process, the mediator, and they work with the content that's brought to the table. So every family is different. Every couple is different. And it's about judging um, before they the mediator decides to proceed with the mediation, whether it's suitable to proceed. So timing is really important to um, going ahead. And the mediator will always have a pre-mediation, should always, where I work in the community sector and in private work, we always see the each person separately first for about an hour and a half, hear the story, see where they are in grieving, what their capacity is to make decisions about the kids, whether they can even think about the kids in, in that stage and decide a really basically help them to navigate through the family law system decide whether mediation's right at that point or legal advice might be right at that point and to then bring back to the mediation. But when it's decided that after seeing the two parties or parents separately, that it is suitable to proceed, um, so putting them in the same room and judging the emotion, letting it be there, deciding when you've travelled around a circle three times and needing a private session maybe to say, look... We're not going anywhere here. Do you need a bit of time? Do you want to go and speak to a friend? Do you need to rethink this? But we we coach them in the private sessions before to make sure that they're at the right place in the mediation. That's so interesting. Mm. And so you're kind of giving them um, a path forward. Yes. It's future focused with the idea of, yes, separating and not reconciling. But 
it's something that will be tested always. Like, are you sure that this is the end? But it is not the business of reconciling people. Yeah. So you're helping them discover or talk about the things that you might not even be aware that you have to discuss. What are those sorts of things that you're helping them realise? A lot of people come, one person has decided six months ago they want to separate and they've just announced it and they're kind of forced there because their kids are in limbo and they're not sure once someone's moved out and they're not sure where the kids are going to be um, week, you know, in week time, holiday time, special days. So, yes, a lot of people come saying this is relatively new and, and, you know, like up to a year can be really new actually, like a very new adjusting to so many different ideas about what the future holds for them as a parent. So they come saying, all right, well, often what do we need to think about? So it's all right, well, we're talking about living arrangements for the children breaking that down into, well, term time if they're at school, holiday time, regardless whether they're at preschool, school, daycare, they're going to close at some point. Special days like birthdays, Christmas, Easter, what's important to you, we oh, That asked. breaks my heart, you just saying know, that. Those are such hard times for people to be a part when of. I, yeah, when we start talking about like what the kids need through that time, it does get a bit it can get a bit upsetting, like just simple things like not hearing the kids just need to feel safe, feel loved and valued by both parents, to have a positive relationship with each parent and be allowed to love both parents, um, knowing that it's okay to love both parents and to not be involved in the parental conflict, which is the purpose of going to mediation. Sometimes people come to mediation because it's just too difficult to have those conversations. And sometimes parents are only seeing each other at handover of the kids and it's not a good place to be talking about the conflict. So that's definitely Or special days even, you know. Special days. So so sometimes they'll say, okay, let's talk about what's going to happen when we do um, live separately rather than um, separately under the same roof, where often the kids n- don't really know yet what's going on. They observe if they're older that mum and dad are in separate bedrooms. But if they're young, they're, they can be oblivious. And recently I've had a whole lot of mediations where the parents are living separately under the one roof because it's more cost effective and the kids are actually oblivious until they start doing family things separately. So then Ooh. we'll say, what do you want the script to be? So that's something that parents haven't necessarily thought of. You know, it's ideal to sit down together to say, this is what we're going to be doing. We still love you. This is So sometimes actually thinking of what the script is going to be, you know, is helpful for us to help to talk through with them. Then things like new partners coming on the scene or like um, making decisions about medical treatment or high schools, like the kids in year four. But I mean, we're not going to mediate over that in the first mediation, but you know, if you don't agree later down the track, you know, that's something that you can put on the agenda in a mediation. Sometimes in a really sad situation, a child's approaching primary school, like next year, separation happens, they haven't agreed. And like, it's nearing the the summer holidays, their kids know, the the friends know where they're going going, and they have no idea. And mum and dad don't even know where they're living, but they know they want them to be at the local public schools. And that's like a choice of two different schools. And a decision has to be made about what school this kid's going to go to for the kid's sake. And that's what we'll help with often. 
Because I imagine adults have a lot going on in their heads that they're trying to process for themselves. Yes, the grief. New partners is definitely um, a topic that comes up and not necessarily straight away unless somebody has left the relationship for a new partner. The ideal thing to do is to have some kind of plan that you might come up, you might be forward thinking and in mediation. And we often say, look, the reality is that he might have a new partner. Now you will, you know, hopefully have a new partner sometime down the track. It's hard to think about that right now. But how would you like to go about it? Do you feel like you want to give the other parent the heads up before they hear it through the children or, you know, and it's up to them entirely, but we will reality Is it better for the children to hear it from, so that the both parents know most things at the same time or are there times when it's okay? I think it's, um, it's what's right in each particular family. Definitely if you're you know, in some kind of really co-parenting relationship like where you're really talking well to the other parent, it would probably come as a, as a bit of a shock to them uh, if they hear it from the kid and the child and all the children. Um, oh, so-and-so stayed over last night. It always goes down better for the other parent if they do get the heads up. But you've got to be in a really great place with your ex to have that conversation. And that's, I guess, where parenting styles comes into it for, following separation. Okay, so parenting styles is something we often talk about in terms of, you know, how we raise our kids. But what does it mean to you as a mediator? Okay, so we talk about parenting styles. Yes, that's something that comes up on an agenda, that parenting style, like my parenting styles to be a disciplinarian and yours is to be a bit more easygoing or whatever. That's different to what I'm talking about in parenting styles. That does come up though. So I'll just address that first. Parenting is really common to have different parenting styles parents have different parenting styles in intact families. It's a reality. We're not going to put that up on an agenda in a mediation as something that has to be changed because it's not so realistic, but working with different parenting styles is kind of the reality. So how do the kids cope with two different parenting styles across different homes? And what we might do is put up consistent routine across two homes. If that's a goal that, that, you know, if we make it really future, I'm sorry, child focused, which we do, what do the kids need? Some kind of maybe similar routines across the two, maybe similar bedtimes, the, you know, the whole rule of doing homework that, you know, that. So we talk about what are the routines or the kids' routines across the two homes? That's how we would put it. When we're talking about parenting styles post-separation, that's different. The two um, are discussed in mediations. But in terms of um, being able to liaise with your ex about a new partner, just to put it back to the context that we're talking about, that requires some serious co-parenting style. Um, That might not be realistic immediately upon separation and it's it's doesn't mean that it's not something that you can strive for. The three types of parenting styles that we see um, immediately upon separation and that the research shows that parents fall into are conflictual parenting, parallel parenting, and cooperative parenting. And that that's what we talk about definitely at where I work in the um, community sector, where we get to even work with kids and we've got this beautiful multidisciplinary kind of approach. So we talk a lot about the different parenting styles. So conflictual parenting style is where is what you really want to avoid. It's, it's what can really damage kids. The research shows that separation itself does not damage children. 
And that's important and reassuring for a lot of people to know, I think. It's more how you deal with the conflict. The prolonged conflict is what does damage kids. And that's what we talk about, ongoing aggression and conflict. That's that's what is to the be avoided. parenting. Yes. Is that when... Or conflicted parenting. Conflicted parenting. Is that when they use the kids oh. as a kind of... Bargaining chip. Yeah, bargaining chip, battleground. Yes, that can happen. Um, It's where the kids are exposed to the conflict at handover, that um, in almost every aspect of their life, for them it's a battleground. And, yes, you know, they might be used, like the time with the kids might be mixed in with, like, property settlement and, you know, I want 70% and we'll say, well, top 70% or bottom 70%. Like, they're not. You can't do that. Let's separate the two issues. Let's talk about the kids and let's talk about the finances separately. Sometimes that's really hard because where they're going to live and what they can afford in terms of housing is so, um, you know, that will determine what time the kids have with the parents. But we do try to separate them and really refocus back on, on the kids. So conflicted parenting or conflictual parenting, we'll call it conflicted parenting, that's like where they're hearing these really dramatic explosive arguments. That is going to damage the kids. That is definitely what the research shows. So that's one style to try to avoid. But it's not to say that you can't move out of conflicted parenting into the second style of parenting that I was talking about, which is parallel parenting, where parents pretty much kind of set themselves up in their homes. They parent in a parallel way, like like a you know train track. Kind of they're 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 humming along nicely in their own homes with the kids, and the kids are feeling stable in those in each home. Um, and there's not so much discussion with the other parent because that's easier. It's just easier. It's not a bad thing to be in parallel parenting. It's good to be there. It's where parents are making their own arrangements to reduce the contact that they have to have with each other, but to basically limit the exposure of the kids to conflict. So that's a good thing. And, you know, it's where like when you do have to have contact with the other parent, you really want to aim to be polite, brief, neutral, um, just to make the communication as easy as possible, especially if the kids, um, if it's only happening at handover and the kids are seeing it. Cooperative parenting is, you know, kind of ideal. Um, it's, you know, whilst it's what every child needs, it's not always um, attainable. So it's, that's why I say it's okay to be on parallel parenting um, in that, uh, having that approach. Cooperative parenting, you know, it's where parents can talk to each other and, more easily reach joint decisions about school and the communication style of cooperative parenting is friendly and it's polite and it's respectful and it's where you say, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I've got a new partner and mm. that's that where... It seems so incredibly hard, particularly if it's... It is. You, you kind of assume that most people, when they separate... Most people, uh, because you join for a reason, they separate for a reason as well. Mm. And so... It's unlikely that that's going to be free from pain for both parties. Yeah. Is it part of your role? I mean, you're talking about focusing on the kids. Is Mm. part of your role ever to kind of, if you can see someone struggling, let's say you're mediating for the partner who has found out they're the person they're with is cheating and then everything falls apart, all their dreams are destroyed. Is that ever your role to sit and say to them, Maybe you need to speak to a counsellor. You said you have a multidisciplinary mm-hmm. approach mm-hmm. in the community sector yep. where you yep. work. Yep. Is that sort of something that you would guide them towards? Definitely. So 
we're in that pre-mediation context where we're looking for all signs of, you know, really struggling with the separation and where the parent is in their cycle of grief and if they need some some help along the way through a counsellor. Because it, it sounds like the ideal scenario for kids is cooperative parenting, mm. but that sounds to me like you need such developed emotional maturity and awareness. It's just this in the stage of their separation. So, you know, often will have one parent say, I'm really trying to be cooperative. The other parents not, not letting it be cooperative. They're so angry with me or, you know, and for us that means that they haven't accepted yet the separation. There's still a lot that's triggering them, which is understandable. And yes, we'll definitely say, make recommendations that that the parent who's behind in the grief cycle who hasn't accepted it yet and might might be making things more difficult, and that's not necessarily the parent making things more difficult, but we'll make sure that they're getting support simultaneously. You know, that what I do recommend is that you give in to that referral, to let let the mediator make the, the referral to a counsellor. The parent who might have decided to separate, say they've accepted it and they're way ahead and they want to start this kind of cooperative parenting style. As long as one parent is able to show that approach, the kids are going to attach to that parent, watch the modelling from that parent and they're going to be okay. Yeah. Wow. There's so much there. Mm. I love the idea of cooperative parenting if you can make it. Danielle, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure, Siobhan. That's Danielle Jaku. She's a mediator for separated families and we'll put links to more resources in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.